Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please interview the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. We have a very exciting uh, day on the show, mostly because the Raptors won for segments one and two, hour one. We have friend of the program, Vivek Jacob, joining us in studio. Uh, then we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our interview that we recorded earlier today with Dennis Schroeder. Uh, and then in segment four, we're going to go around the NBA uh, to mark the return of Alex Wong, who has a new haircut to uh, debut on the show. But yeah, joining us right now, as I said earlier, Vivek, what's going on, man? You all right? I'm great, man. The yeah. Raptors have some new vibes, mm. some new players, a couple wins undefeated since the trade. So mm. can't complain. I yeah. don't know what you're doing today, though, Will. We're, we're not doing Canada hockey this week. This is uh, I know the Leafs have won a couple West Coast games in a row. The, the Leafs and Raptors on a winning streak at the same time for the first time all year. But yeah. uh, the teens disappointed us this week. We're, we're not supporting Canadian hockey. Uh, oh, you can't even get out of the quarterfinals against Czechia. I don't know, man. Well, that's why they need a they need the legend, eighty seven. You know what I mean? It's, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to like binge watch hockey for two weeks so that when me and my dad go to it's not the, better the call games. Saul or something like that. You can't just like catch up on yeah sixty years of of Leafs trauma in two weeks. I've been I've been, I've been catching a little bits of banter. There's someone named Joseph Wall. He's hurt. You won't okay. see him uh, next Sunday. Mitch Marner, you know, trade him. Um, <laughs> I mean. I don't know anything in, about hockey, clearly. Look, to draw the parallel, interesting scenario right now yeah. where William Nylander pending UFA, uh, but they're in, I've seen him in, the Rogers they're commercials. in contract extension talks uh. with him right now. A little Pascal to it, a, a very clear all-star player that maybe the cap gets a little tight, but you'd probably rather have him than trade him. Is there a discussion like everything has to fit around Austin Matthews? Uh, Otherwise, more, more for the cap perspective, because the way you are structured okay. with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, Morgan Riley, gotcha. um, with how flat the NHL cap has been, um, that's more the argument. It's like everyone's got to fit around the the cap crunch you're in. All right. V. I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. <laughs> I, I, might, I might as well join, join Alex for a fruity. <laughs> that's, that's one. We'll see how many of these we get in. Okay, so let's talk about last night's game. The Raptors uh, go into Memphis, and they pretty much lead from the end of the first quarter onward. Um, the Grizzlies make a bit of a comeback in the fourth quarter. Uh, make it a one or two possession game, you know, in certain times, but the Raptors hold on strong. Um, some great fourth quarter play from Dennis Schroeder, from Emmanuel Quickly, from Scotty Barnes. Uh, Pascal chipped in with a couple buckets there too. And the Raptors win 116 to 111. Vivek, uh, obviously so much of the discussion um, has been on the two newcomers, Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett. Emmanuel Quickly last night was awesome, 26 points. Uh, he finished with uh, and five assists. What have you made of Emmanuel Quickly? specifically from last night, but also just in the, I guess, two games that he's joined. Yeah, so last night, obviously, he had the slow start offensively and couldn't get going, but I <clears throat> think what you see over the course of the game is just knowing that there's different options. There's so many more options mm. offensively, and so, you know, Pascal sustains you for a bit, mm -hmm. and then you can get into uh, Emmanuel quickly getting hot, uh, and then the way he played that third quarter was just perfection, right? And especially when he hit that pull-up three. I mean, normally that's a possession where you would see the Raptors point guard be like, oh, okay, we don't really, I can't pull up for this three, so I'm just going to hold it back. We're going to run our offense <laughs> yep. And, yep. and we'll take things from there. And so for him to just have that freedom, that trust from his teammates, he was glowing about that after the game where he talked about his struggles early and teammates, coaches, everyone's just telling him, keep shooting, we trust you. And that's how he was able to find his flow. 
the other thing that I've, I'm, I'm really enjoying through these first couple games is seeing him as a two-way player. He's able to defend at, you know, I would say uh, a positive level. Uh, he, he's a net positive on that end of the floor, and his communication is excellent. There's uh, several times where he's been um, in the back line of the defense, and you can see him calling out uh, and directing his teammates and letting them know what's happening. And I think that's really encouraging. So uh, I've really enjoyed the quickly experience so far. Uh, at the end of the game, uh, I chuckled because on uh, they were trying to get Scotty a post up uh, to close out and quickly was about 35 feet from the basket mm-hmm. trying to dump it into Scotty. And he was, his defender was trying to help and trying to deter the pass. From 35 feet, he gave a slight shot fake mm. and the defender like scrambled over. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's yeah. something the Raptors just haven't had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that little thing opens up the pass. He makes the pass in. Scotty goes to work. Uh, gets to the line. Mm-hmm. Clo- uh, kind of closes out that game. But just that little moment where he gives a shot fake from thirty five feet, and the defender's like, "I have to respect that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that tells you everything that quickly brings brings to the table. He does bring a lot of options, and it's been nice to see the Raptors, for example, come out of a timeout in that third quarter. Dark was like, "All right." You know, the Grizzlies cut the lead from like 20 to 10. Let's get a timeout in. And then the first thing they do is they get quickly coming around a screen and they get them an open three. And it's just things like that where it feels like the Raptors haven't had that little bit of pop. He's been able to bring that. Blake, what have you seen from Emmanuel? Yeah, a lot of little things like that. There was a play in the first quarter where the Raptors are doing kind of one of their standard motion sets where you've got, you know, the pick and roll or a DHO happening on one side. And and then someone, you know, typically Gary, but in this case, it was Emmanuel quickly. He's going to come off a pin down on the weak side. And then a lot of times what happens with the Raptors is that guy will catch that and go right back into the action with Mm. whoever's playing the big role on the other side. But quickly saw how that was being defended. So as he's coming up and, and could go over that pin down and pop out for the swing pass up top, he instead cut across the middle of the floor underneath the initial action on the other side and popped out for a three-point attempt on the other side instead. Mm-hmm. And the de- defense was completely unready for it. The Raptors didn't have the the best spacing around it because I don't think guys are ready for him to kind of make those read and react plays like that. But I thought that that was a really good indicator of like the level he thinks the game at and reads plays. And, and V talked about the defensive communication. I've seen it on offense as well. Uh, in that first game, there was a play where Pascal, I think Scotty was posting up. I might be misremembering that, but Pascal cuts into the paint and there's nothing there. And Pascal is lifting back out of the paint because obviously you're not just going to mm-hmm. stand there waiting around. And the Raptors, when cuts aren't successful this year, they've done very little second cuts back at like like rerun the cut with whoever's next and so gary and quickly were both spacing out on the weak side and quickly's like telling gary like go there's another opportunity to cut and then he cuts into the paint as a second cut action and he's wide open for a pass there so little stuff like that um i also thought all three quarters quickly was only on the floor in the second and third quarter i think but all three quarters the raptors ended with um good execution of two-for-one situations Mm -hmm. so they didn't hit every shot but each time they were getting a good shot on the front end of the two-for-one with enough time to get the second shot off as well and pretty good defense in between. I think that's a good indicator of, hey, you're well-organized. You've got guys who are mindful of game and clock, guys who know how much time they need to get into their shot, how much space they need to get someone else a shot and things like that. I just thought there have been a lot of little things like that where quickly and to some extent as well, Dennis playing that bench role where he's in at the end of the first and the third quarter. I thought those parts of the games have looked a lot more, a lot smoother than, than we're used to. 
Yeah, to your point about the two for one, it, it's just it, it's a sign that nature is healing for the Raptors. Because <laughs> like we we had that for so long with Kyle, and then Lou we, Will. We, Lou Williams was continuing the that Lou tradition. Lou for one, as it was known for a long time. Yeah, the dribble, you know, crossover, fade left, and then maybe draw foul, uh, which honestly worked a surprising amount of times in that season until the playoffs where it didn't work once. But um, you know, Fred continued it as well after Kyle left as well. It's just been weird this season. The Raptors have not really gone for two for ones. And I think a key part of the two for one is you have to have, well, ideally you have to have somebody who can just pull up for three because mm-hmm. it allows you to not commit too many defenders forward um, to chase the offensive glass. For example, you can kind of maintain your at least like defensive transition if the shot misses and you got a quick shot. Obviously it depends on the quality of the shot, but it really depends on the talent of the player. That's what dictates the, the talent of the shot. And yeah, you saw quickly make that at the end of the third quarter in just like a little two-man kind of game with Dennis. And it wasn't even like much of an action. Dennis just brought the ball up, quickly was in the corner, ran behind him, he dumped it off, and he shot it from 30. And it's like the simplest thing, but we haven't had a lot of these options available to the Raptors. That's the thing is, when a guy can create for himself, especially above the break like that, like there is in two-for-one, it's good anyway, but in two-for-one situations, it's clock certainty, right? Mm -hmm. Where like, if you don't have someone who has the threat of that pull-up who in a pinch can get a shot off really quickly, well, then if you start an action at like 31 seconds, you're running the risk of, well, not only did you run that action before, like you ran too simple an action, but you didn't get a shot quickly enough, so you botched the two for one. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to, like if you're accounting for that, you don't want to start that action with like 37, 38 on the clock because a good team the other way is just going to run that two for one back against you exactly. and, and turn it into kind of a three for two the other way. So I, I really do think when it comes to those two for one situations, the ability to pull up is probably the biggest single skill you can have. Yeah. Um, so quickly was great. 26 points uh, led everybody on the Raptors. And the dance. What did we think of the dance? <laughs> he kind of did the the like coming back down after after hitting a big day. I think at the end. I, of the, Honestly, end for of the me, the positivity is really like encouraging. It's refreshing. You know, like sometimes when you watch like the Raptors play and they make a bucket and you're expecting someone to celebrate. It's usually like Pascal's kind of got like a bit of a surly face. Scotty's been in kind of in a mood this last week. Mm-hmm. So he'll make buckets in the camera panel room and he's like upset a lot of the times. Even the freeze kind of went away. We don't like we the, still see it, but like it was a big thing the first like seven, yeah. eight games and then right, things yeah. went the way sure. they went. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this was there were multiple Raptors runs where I felt like I could anticipate what was coming mm. and you could anticipate that big punch. Right, like when okay. Qu- quickly is like pulling up for that three, or you know those sequences with Scotty and quickly, like you know how in the past the Raptors could hurt other teams, and now with the way these pieces fit, you can see okay when X Y Z happens, like this is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and to kind of anticipate that in the first couple games is amazing, um, and I feel like the way the strengths kind of complement each other. It really, really fits well. I'm sure we'll get to an RJ discussion soon. But um, yeah, in terms of quickly, like anticipating his success points and how it complements everyone else, like that's what I think makes it easier for everyone. Yeah, he's he's settled in really nicely. Um, okay, let's get to that RJ discussion. Sorry, I have one last thought on quickly, if What's that's up? cool. There's a stretch in the third quarter, and this is obviously to our conversation earlier this week. A lot of this is going to be how to quickly and Barnes fit together. Late in that third quarter, 
Barnes sets quickly up for a three, mm-hmm. then quickly sends Barnes up for a three, yep. and then they ran kind of a delayed pick and pop where it's initially looks like a pick and roll and Scotty's going to roll, and then he does the kind of like slow moonwalk back into a pop, mm. and then by the time Xavier, T- I think it was Xavier Tillman, tries to cl- like quickly finds him, and by the time Tillman tries to close back out on that, yeah. Scotty has a huge initial advantage and gets free throws out of it. I think we're seeing little bits of like quickly and Barnes, mm-hmm. like that. that's so natural pairing, I think they're going to figure it out anyway, but it's pretty cool to see already in those quickly Barnes bench units that they're finding some stuff like that pretty early on yeah and and during that stretch you're mentioning gary had a similar play too where quickly was able to just you know attack a closeout get into the lane touch the paint and now there's a gap literally right behind him gary kind of filled in uh quickly threw it right behind him to gary and gary drove that exact same lane for an open push shot like things like that where it's just like you got somebody who moves the defense around is a threat to shoot from pretty much everywhere and all of a sudden, that, that creates, you know, more little breakdowns for the Raptors, other guys to feed off of. So that's great. Um, RJ, RJ had a really strong start. First quarter, uh, three or three from the field. I had a couple of defensive sequences. Um, was top on the glass, which has been nice to see. Um, yeah, what have you made from RJ, though? Because I feel like over the course of the game, it started to get unraveled. There was a play where he got back-to-back charges against uh, Marcus Smart. Vivek, what did you make of uh, RJ's second game? Yeah, I think... Overall, if if I had to give him a grade, it'd probably be B, like a B minus, mm. you know. And I, I think the thing with RJ right now is his uh, tunnel vision mistakes are so visceral that I think it almost like creates an, a more negative impression of him as sure. w- what he provides on a whole. Precious was an extreme example of this, yeah. by the way. Yeah. 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 He's not nearly at the level of precious, though. No, exactly, right? But when you look at the positives that he brings to the table, right? Like, obviously, there's the obvious, you know, RJ is slotting in for OG, and so that's where you kind of make the comparisons. But no one is expecting RJ to be the defender that OG is. But offensively, right, what did you want from OG? You wanted more assertiveness. You wanted him to, you know, be more attack-minded. You know, people might have complained that, oh, OG doesn't get the ball. RJ is showing what happens when you do have that attack mindset, Mm -hmm. right? And so you can create enough opportunities for yourself. And so having that is a a bonus. Uh, I think his rebounding is a bonus. Um, And I think his ability to handle and and just get downhill, uh, get pain touches. Uh, We have seen those tunnel vision mistakes. We have seen plays where he's got to the paint and then made some good kickouts. And so I think overall... He's been a net positive, uh, and I think it's just about working away at, you know, identifying the right opportunities, you know, some, some of those transition plays where he's got open teammates and he, he kind of barrels his way to the rim. Those are things that, that he can work on, uh, and that needs to improve. But, uh, again, I think the, the visceral nature of, like, those mistakes mm-hmm. makes the perception of him worse than, than what he really is. I would agree with that, especially in transition, right? Like you have like the the one in the opener where they have a or sorry, the, his first game where they have the four on two in transition. He, he forces a bad pass and it's a turnover the other way. It's like those ones stand out. I know Will Malachi's transition play used to drive you nuts, right? Like the amount of three on ones that they would come away with nothing on. I, I really do think no more. I really fine, do man. think a mistake in transition sticks with us way more than a mistake in the half court. The other thing with RJ is like he to use the old Dwayne Caseyism. He tells on himself. Like, we see him make good passes and good right. reads. There was one yesterday where um, the, the I, I think uh, Scotty is is in the post. Jaw comes to double. Scotty kicks it out. And then RJ attacks. 
the closeout, and he makes a great read to Pascal on this like late baseline mm-hmm. cut. Yep. And that's yep. a tough read, and it's a really tough pass to throw it through the helping big. Right. And it's like you see that, and then it's like, well, do that more. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. uh, so you know we know that RJ can make those reads and make those passes. Is I think an extra layer to this. If he was, you know, if Gary doesn't, if Gary makes some of the same mistakes that RJ's made, well, Gary no hasn't shown us that he can be that level of pass. He's been like a one and a half to two assist guy, if that. And we know that he's just not, that's not his game. But RJ's averaged three assists a game before. He's been a co-point guard in situated. The Knicks used him kind of the way the Raptors have been using Scotty, where you come back in and you help run that second unit. Um, yeah, we know he can do it. So when he doesn't, it stands out a little bit more. So I, I've been thinking about this, and a lot of people have been making a comparison between RJ and like a young DeMar DeRozan. Now, I don't think they really play like that similar, but I can kind of get the idea of like a big guard wants to get downhill, you know, great at gra- drawing free throws, great at drawing free throws, you know, super aggressive will burrow his way to the basket. I think DeMar had definitely more athletic pop than RJ does. And I feel like RJ sometimes plays as if he feels like he's a little bit more athletic than he actually is, or a little bit bigger than he actually is. However, I think, you know, one thing that really helped for DeMar's efficiency and his effectiveness overall is he, at the start of his career, he could pass a little bit. Like it wasn't like he couldn't pass, but he would only pass when it's like, okay, I'm getting double teamed. I'm clearly, this is a scenario for me to pass and I'm going to pass. And I think as the, his his career has gone on, especially the more that he's run point guard, you know, when he was in Toronto and then eventually San Antonio and now Chicago, um, you see DeMar throwing earlier passes. You know, like, okay, you know, I anticipate the double coming. Here's an earlier pass. So the guy I'm passing it to has more time to do it with. I think that's for RJ. Like, he's so aggressive and he's so good at finding uh, a way to score out of nothing that he has that determination all the time. But the more that he learns to trust his teammates and learn to trust the early pass... I think it'll make him fit even better in this offense because I, I love the commitment he's bringing. He's, like, eating moving screens, I think, in both games now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting these contested rebounds. And, like, I actually really do appreciate, you know, him bringing an element of transition play to the Raptors. And, of course, the Raptors have always been really good in transition. Mm-hmm. But, like, RJ has the kind of transition where it's like, okay, he's at the top of the floor, Raptors rebound, they instantly hit it to him. He's got, like, two guys to beat, and he'll do a spin move in traffic and still get his way there. And he's so strong. Like, so if you're a backpedaling defender yeah. and there's even a little bit of contact, you're going to slide into the stanchion. Well, like, he wants to attack the space. He, yeah. he shrinks the space against you, and, which and is so Steve rare. Kinda, Steve Jones yeah. with us yesterday kind of laid that out. He, we asked him, what is the thing kind of you think will be the biggest offensive boost for the mm-hmm. Raptors? And he's like, yeah, the, sh- the extra shooting of Emmanuel quickly, but this team's going to be crazy in transition. And yeah. that's a team that was already really good in transition. Yeah. In fact, you'll, you'll appreciate that. He's like a winger who dribbles at you. <laughs> he, he, no, he's I, not a Jack Grealish type, right? Sorry. He, no, he's I, I more that. comfortable with the ball in your feet than you are with the ball in your feet. He's right? like he's yeah. like uh, he's like Anthony. For See, this I team. know football. Yeah, and in terms of like balancing out the good with the bad, there, there's two ways of looking at RJ big picture as well, right? There's the one side where you say, okay, he's been in the league four years and he like now in his fifth season this is you know you, you want to really see things start to turn but also at the same time he is 23 right yeah and so there is still he's younger than a Malika. lot of time yeah. younger than precious and so there is still a lot of time to grow the other side of it is expectations right the expectations in new york him being the third option ironically now he's the fourth option behind quickly <laughs> but uh i think now that also helps him as well and you know obviously i think there will still be moments where you know, he's wearing a Raptors uniform and he will might be like, hey, I want to have this moment. But uh, I, I do think that for the most part, you know, even w- we've seen in terms of running sets and whatnot, 
he understands that you know Pascal and Scotty are at oh, yeah, the yeah. top of the totem pole, and he just gets them the ball and gets out of the way. Uh, and so I think that's all you can really ask for. Um, and I think again, over time, you want to see those glaring mistakes cut out, and you know I think that'll be an interesting thing to track with Darko in terms of that development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the Raptors have a young player who still has room to grow and is a positive contributor right now. I think his heart is clearly in the right place, too. Yeah. Like, there's not like 100%. a selfishness to him or anything like that. I mean, obviously, he's got his contract. Everything's settled. He's back home. But I, I can see, like, a genuine desire to just do what the team needs of him. It's hard, man. It takes time. Like, DeMar, yeah. I have DeMar's career page in front of me right now. And sure. uh, quick aside, he's having the best and highest volume three-point shooting season of his career right now. Yeah, uh, so 30, three a game? 35% on almost three a game. Oh, um, almost three a game. Yeah, which wow. is crazy. But it was yeah. year, year five for DeMar, age okay. 24. Yeah. when so, so RJ's a little younger than DeMar was at, in his fifth year. And this was the year DeMar made the jump to all-star and averaged like 23, four, and four. Mm. But that was the first time DeMar had averaged more than two and a half assists a game. Very different situations to compare again because RJ was RJ in year one. DeMar, to, DeMar yeah. was on like a five, six, seven-year climb to become who he was. But that playmaking level really didn't come until year five. And again, he has the ball in his hands a lot more and in a lot of different ways than RJ does. But whether it's DeMar or Giannis or, I don't know, any number of complementary players around the league, that level of understanding what defenses look like and do to you and and how to help your teammates, like that is, unless you're a really natural pass-first guy, that's usually one of the later skills to develop. And the other thing I'll quickly add there is when you're making that DeMar comparison, when you're getting those contract extensions early, you're paying for future potential, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Uh, and so with Demar, when when he got that initial extension, there were a lot of people complaining, oh, saying, yeah. "Hey, totally, he's not worth his money." Yeah, but he got there, right? Yeah, uh, and I think it could be a similar tune with RJ, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, you know, maybe he doesn't get to the caliber of player that Demar is, but in, in terms of what he can provide to this team, being a fourth option. Um, and we'll see if maybe he can grow beyond that. Mm-hmm. I I think it's okay, and like the contract is what it is. But you're trying to get him to that point where you you look at it and say, hey, we got fair value here. Speaking of fair value, I've uh, been loving what Jakob Pertl's been doing the last two games. Now I'm like, all right, I I get it. Eight blocks in the last two games, five last night. Um, didn't score. But he had a lot of good opportunities to score. I think he just like went a little bit soft with some of the finishes. He's more of a finesse finisher anyway unless he's dunking on Andre Drummond back in the day. Uh, but, like, what have you guys seen from Jakob? Because it seems like he's more engaged, and, and more importantly, he looks like he fits a lot better. And it could just be the matchup, maybe the last two games. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Jakob. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the matchup because he just went up against uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and Jared Allen. Like, those are... those are Jared Allen is more centery, so at least Jakob's playing inside. Yeah. But, like, Jaron Jackson could string a guy out. And I know Xavier Tillman played... He started. He, was terrible he started in that game. He was really bad. And like Yak, like Tillman only played twenty three minutes. Like yeah. Yak played a bunch against. Well, Jared. they went small ball. That's like yeah. part of the reason why Memphis came back. Yeah, and yeah. it was interesting. Like you could, even though Yak had a really good game, you could have made the argument down the stretch that 
he shouldn't have closed because mm-hmm. what the Raptors were having to do was they were, and this was very smart of Scotty, he was pre-switching with yeah, Jakob. So exactly. um, they would try to put Jakob in the pick and roll so that Jaw and Jaron could go, one of them would be able to get Jakob. And what Scotty would do is he would come out of the corner, tag Jakob so Jakob would go to the corner. Yeah. And then a couple times Jaw then tried to draw Zaire Williams into the pick and roll. But by that time, you've eaten up a bunch of clocks. Zaire Williams is not a natural screen setter and things like that. It was very smart on Scotty's part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Part of the challenge with Pirtle is going to be, yeah, we're talking about a game where he looked really good, and you could still make a case that he maybe shouldn't have closed that game. Yeah. Um, obviously, it worked out the way it did. I think the thing offensively that makes the most sense with Yach right now is when he came over, and again, I still will not, under, I will just won't agree with giving up a first-round pick for him, but whatever. Whatever He, he comes over, and it makes sense offensively, certainly made sense defensively, made sense offensively because... Fred finally had a pick-and-roll partner, and the offense being able to go pick-and-roll-centric let other guys be in positions that are more natural, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're not asking them to create too much. You're not constantly playing small and things like that. And then you lost Fred. And then you have a pick-and-roll center who doesn't space the floor, is a solid passer, but we're not talking about, like, a Bam Adebayo high-post passer here. And there's no one for him to play pick-and-roll with. And even if you do, you know, Scotty's taking a step as a pick-and-roll player. Dennis is a solid pick-and-roll player, et cetera. But there's not, like, a natural pick-and-roll usage for Yak, and they're running it way less. And now you look at the the roster, and it's reoriented where, well, there's always at least one and probably two guys on the floor who can run pick-and-roll at a given time. Mm. Uh, the spacing's a little better, so Yak on those kind of delayed rolls into the paint, that is not getting in the way as much of the space that someone else is trying to occupy. Um, so I think there's just, like, more ways to utilize him as a screen setter and a role guy with this offensive environment. I think probably like this, this shouldn't be the case because like you are more in control of your defense game to game, but it's true for a lot of guys that your offense can help fuel your defense, right? You just feel a little better. You feel a little more involved in the game, um, a little kind of snappier and things like that. And I, I think those things are probably related for him. Yeah. I think, you know, all those points, when you look at it as a whole, it's the fit is just better. Right. And those opportunities for him to excel, like he's being put in more positions to succeed. And I think uh, I was more encouraged by this Memphis game than the Cleveland game just because, you know, Jaron Jackson is someone who spaces the floor more than Jared Allen. So he's got to get out and space more. Um, And so I thought that aspect of it was very encouraging to the finishing. I think he's always going to be a finesse guy. I think he's always got yeah. like that I mean, volleyball he's nature very to him. Good finisher, right? He's he's I, like shooting like sixty plus percent. Yeah. yeah. I just think he is rushing things a little bit okay. right now, right. Uh, and he's almost being too quick with his decision making. Like there's times where I think he sees a pass and like he's almost trying to do the touch pass thing, and then it ends up being a turnover because uh, someone's anticipated it or whatever, right? And so I think because he's so big, I think there are more opportunities for him to just gather. Uh, and and then go up strong, uh, so maybe that's something for him to look at, and you know you'll probably figure it out from watching the film. But I think uh, overall, uh, yeah, there, there's going to be you know fourth quarter stretches where he, he's not the best option to have out there, but you have more opportunities where you can work him into the rotation. We talked about joy, we talked about trust. I think in terms of anticipation, in terms of anticipation defensively, mm-hmm. he kind of knows now to a better extent what different defenders are going to do sure and so yeah. i think that's helping him time stuff better in terms of protecting the rim yeah um i think with Jakob too i mean the point about protecting the rim was is is great because he 
what had contested 16 shots last night. Um, it's the most by anybody on the Raptors. It was a similar number against the Cavaliers. He led the team in contested shots. And whatever, like, you want your center to lead the team in contested shots. But sometimes I think about, okay, if Jakob's on the floor, what is he there for, right? And when it's a pass, when it's a Pascal and Scotty-centric group or, like, you're trying to play through those guys, offensively, he's not really there for much. Those guys largely want to get mismatches. Um, and then, you know... Uh, you know, from there, they want to be able to score over the top of them or kick out to the perimeter for three because they're already in the paint. The paint's already clustered. The space is at the top. They generally need to play with guards to be more effective. For Jakob, his screening becomes way more effective when you pair him with a scoring guard. Mm-hmm. So last night, for example, he had six uh, screen assists for 14 screen assist points. I know Alex is loving this one. But uh, yeah, double screen assist, he had yeah. 14 points when you look at the screen assist, all right? No, but seriously, though, it, it's more impactful because now he's setting these bone-crunching screens for Emmanuel quickly to get space and get downhill to attack. And at least my first impression of seeing Emmanuel right now is like, I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of one-on-one creation as much. Like maybe against a mismatch when he's like isolated against Santi Aldama, he can like burst past him and draw a foul or whatever. But we've seen him a lot. Like when he's driving, for example, he's not necessarily finishing so efficiently right now, especially when he's attacking in one-on-one scenarios. But when he's coming off of screens for a shooter to, to use that gap to shoot the ball, dribble handoffs for, again, quickly to do it, if it's a lot more now, and all of a sudden, even though Jakob doesn't have anything on his official box score, you can see that he's more involved in contributing to the offense in a way that it just wasn't as possible with him and, you know, uh, Scotty or Pascal. I still don't think it's like the most natural 48 minute a game fit. Uh, like, yeah, like the spacing like, still is what it is. Like, these days? like, like yeah. you got to go like super elite, like Jokic and B level, right. like. Some bonus right, and this is how in a, in a game where he played well and they won by five, he ends up a minus nine. And we, we don't do the mm. single game plus minus thing a ton, but, sure. um, you know, they, it stands out when you look at it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it's good that it fits better because you gave up a first and a couple seconds <laughs> and paid him four years, $78 million <laughs> yeah. with incentives on top of that. Uh-huh. So you better find, like, obviously you're not reorienting your team around Jakob Pertl, but, uh, yeah, it's good that it makes a little bit more sense to play him 30 minutes a game now than it did and be on with you the the turnover's got to come down a little bit he's got that you know turnover rate at almost a career high right now and you never want to see the turnover rate higher than the usage rate but uh yeah the positive steps the these first two games for sure yeah uh just to go back to the contested shots number um he had 16 last night he had 19 against uh the cavaliers that's 19's got to be the highest any raptors had all year right it's hard to check these things, but yeah. maybe I'll try to check it during the break. That's uh, So that's 35 shots contested just by Jakob Berto in the last two games. The next closest is Scotty at 16. Yeah. Wow. He contested 19 more shots than the next closest teammate. Yeah, and I, I bet. And that's where he that's where he does fit, I think, with Scotty mm-hmm. and Pascal. Is they actually do need somebody to play center and protect the rim. Well, especially if the Raptors are going to use Scotty more perimeter-oriented now defensively because I, I yeah. would bet when OG was here, Scotty's contest numbers were a lot closer to Jakob's right. because he was working weak side help a little bit more, playing the lower half mm-hmm. of the floor and letting OG handle the best perimeter guy. If they're going to use Scotty more as a point of attack guy, then you're going to need, you know, Jakob or whoever, but probably Jakob given that there are no other real centers on this roster right now. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I love when the Raptors win. It's nice to have new stuff to talk about, but yeah. Also, like, this is the the bar, we're lowering the bar too low here, but ever since the thing came out of, like, yeah, dinner on me after three wins, Mm. I think this is the first time they've won two in a row. 
because this is the first time like Alex has made the joke of like, oh yeah, where are they going to get food in, in Sacramento or, or San Francisco or whatever? Um, so they couldn't have collected a free wing stop in Detroit though. <laughs> yeah, they did get that. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a it's a nice shot in the arm for uh, for the show in terms of new stuff to talk about, but oh, also yeah. just like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's nice to have positives on the the register, even if like, yeah, Cav, <laughs> the Cavs down Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, and the Grizzlies on the second I'm night not of a back to back. Those yeah. those two teams were both five and two saying, right I, before playing the sure, Raptors. I, I just I know yeah. there's someone out there listening and being like, oh, these were two whatever. They yeah. hadn't won two in a row against anyone in, in quite yeah. a while here, and it's nice to have steps in the right direction like that. And not only have the wins, but feel like what is happening to drive those wins is something you can continue to build on and see as they take on, uh, yeah, a very tough schedule this next little bit. Yeah. Um, by the way, you know the NBA's cook product when the Detroit Pistons score 148 points, Man. but we're just going to take a break and process that. Cause, yeah, what was that stat? It was like the first time ever that like five teams scored 140 in a night? Yeah, well, the four or five. The league last Atlanta was, did it. Cleveland nuts. did it. Detroit and Utah both did it. Indiana. Indy did it. Indy's four and zero against Milwaukee now. Also, by the way, they, it's like four of Milwaukee's ten losses have come against Indy. Um, and Wait, then no, they had, there was the Oscar Sheboy loss though. Oh, so oh, so four one, four one, because they had the in season tournament. Um, and then Sacramento and Orlando last night went to oh, went to double overtime yeah. and both finished just shy of 140 as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, Lewis Atzman actually at SB Nation today had a really good piece on kind of the offensive explosion more tactically mm. how that is happening. Right. Uh, but yeah, we're still due to have a conversation maybe with Dave DeFore or something about you know what does this offensive explosion look like and does the NBA need to kind of treat it like inflation? You're not going to stop it, but maybe just slow down the growth a little bit so that, yeah. you know, Tyrese Halliburton's records aren't like NFL passing stats untouchable <laughs> now. No, we're going to talk about the Raptors needing Serb on offense, but uh, we're going to... Serb Ibaka. Serb Ibaka. <laughs> Come back from us. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Willie. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy and Vivek Jacob. We are continuing to talk about last night's game, but we want to get to some of the finer details uh, the Raptors unveiled a new rotation piece yesterday, Jonte Porter. And I know that, Blake, you know, you had the great interview with Jonte on the show uh, about a month back now uh, when he first joined. And he's been doing well with the 905. He's been he's on a two-way, so he's been, I guess, called up. But really, he's two-way. He's going to be in both places. Uh, and he's with the Raptors in this road trip. You called it yesterday. You called it. You said that your bold prediction was that Jonte was going to get his first chance to put on the Raptors uniform in game. And lo and behold, at the end of the first quarter, before Chris Boucher even came in, Jonte Porter was in the game. So obviously a lot of people aren't too familiar with Jonte. That's why they should go read your upcoming feature about him. Tomorrow morning it'll be out, yeah, sportsnet.ca. So there's going to be lots of great details. I know you've been working on that. I saw you talking to his brother, Michael Porter Jr., when the Nuggets were in town. Um, so there's going to be lots of great pieces. But before we even get to that story, what did you see from Jonathan yesterday and what should fans expect to see from him? Yeah, I thought it was a, a pretty solid debut. Obviously, he didn't score in, in his seven minutes and he picked up a couple of quick fouls. But I think you saw pretty quickly what I like about him, what, what the Raptors like about him. And the thing that stood out most to me, uh, especially on this team where they don't have a lot of these guys, he set really, really good screens 
and that maybe seems like uh, like not something you care about at the top of the list. But the, we just talked about how important Jakob Pertl is when he fits the offense. And the Raptors want to run a lot of this dribble handoff stuff. The bench units with two point guards are going to run a fair amount of pick and roll. So having a good screen setter like that is important. But what we didn't get to see a lot of other than kind of in semi-transition that will flow from those screens and those dribble handoff scenarios is Jonte's a really good passer. Like he was okay. averaging almost four assists a game over Detroit and Toronto's G League teams this year. That was the book on him coming out of Missouri was that. And in so to give away something in the piece tomorrow, like basically Jonte was like, well, my older brother, Michael Porter Jr., was the number one prospect in the entire world at one point. So my job, my whole life growing up playing basketball with him, was do the things that help a star player. Mm. So he has built his entire game around how do I be a good complimentary piece? How do I set good screens? How do I pass it to the number one option in good situations and things like that? And then he had a growth spurt right before college. So he took those perimeter skills and was able to put them kind of in a big man body. Um, so he's a, he's passed really well for the 905. He's hit about 37% of his threes this year in the G League. He shot it well in Missouri in college as well. It's kind of been up and down in the G League, but 37% is pretty good. And almost all of those are like pick and pop above the break threes. So the type of threes that if you think back to the Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka era Raptors, those are going to be available to bigs against pretty much any defense. Uh, so good to be able to knock those down at a respectable rate. And then defensively is where... I probably have more questions that the, the 905 have been really happy with his defense so far, um, given that he's had so many knee injuries. You know, you wonder about the mobility in against more, you know, pace and space NBA offenses. Um, the 905 have even at times he's guarded the pick and roll a lot, but against like particularly difficult pick and roll combinations, they might slide Mogay into to be the center in those. And and Jonte Porter kind of does what Jakob did mm -hmm. last night down the stretch where he switches into a weak corner because that's just a better way to orient your defense. But I thought last night against a pretty tough duo in John Morant and Jaron Jackson, who were both on the floor for a lot of uh, Jonte's minutes, I thought he looked pretty good. He does a good job kind of shuffling down the side of the paint so that if a guard gets the edge on the screen, you know, maybe they can take that kind of eight-foot bank shot, but they're not able to get to the rim as effectively. Um, thought he just did a good job with verticality and being big generally. Again, uh, maybe a, a little bit foul prone, and that's been true with the 905 as well. Um, some of that comes with, you know, kind of those as a guy's going up with a shot, strip locks, mm. the Fred Van Vliet special. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I, for seven minutes for uh, his first NBA action in over three years, coming back from so many injuries. I thought it was a really good start. If he knocks down one of those threes, I think people are really excited uh, about what those minutes look like. And I know the Raptors were happy with, you know, some of the little things he brings to the table. I certainly thought he did enough that tomorrow against Sacramento, we should see him in that spot again. The Raptors have not used that ninth rotation spot for big minutes. Seven, eight, nine minutes, two if you're Thad Young the other night. You know, some nights if Precious wasn't that good, uh, an even quicker hook. So I don't think he's going to see his way to like 14, 15 minutes necessarily. Yeah, but, but seven, eight minutes stint in the first half, four or five minutes stint to get, to give your guys a breather in the, in the second half. I think he's capable of that as basically a redo, uh, like a do-over rookie. I don't know that it's going to be great every single time. Like he's still, even though he's 24 and was in the draft in 2019. Uh, this is still a fairly inexperienced guy given all the injuries he's had to come back from. So, you know, don't take this as me saying it's a slam dunk. He's going to be a plus player every single night in the bench. 
But I think you saw why the Raptors like this guy and why I've said, and Darko has said, honestly, even before we saw him with the Raptors, Darko said, yeah, I think he's a rotation big in the NBA if he doesn't have all these injuries. Mm. Um, I think he can play a bench role for this team when right now they don't have another option at center. Yeah. um, Jonte Porter last night, seven minutes, contested five shots, two screen assists for four screen assist points. Gotta look beyond the box score. I don't know. I didn't look this stat up. Uh, I think he also had like a Gretzky assist, the secondary assist, like in semi-transition made the hit ahead pass that then led to a corner three, but maybe the three didn't get made either way. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought, what, what did you guys say? Seven minutes, seven minutes is only seven minutes with zero points, but those, uh, I mean, the team looked good and I thought he fit pretty naturally. He looks solid. I think so. Your options there are like, you know, Jonte Porter, Otto Porter playing backup center. And he was out last night. Yeah. Uh, which is also one of the things. Thad Young, Jalen McDaniels, um, or I suppose Chris. But I think Chris is just kind of in the rotation anyway. You kind of need another guy on, uh, beside Chris. And we know that Chris looks better kind of more at the 3-4 spot oh, yeah. in those bench yeah. units than at the 5. So it's like you got to take your pick. Otto is your best shooter in that group. He's rarely available. So if he's available, sure. I would love to see Otto, for example, ahead of Jonte. Jalen McDaniels, I mean, he had the nice little moment in the fourth quarter against the Celtics. That was unexpected. I don't even think the Celtics were expecting it. They're like, wait, you guys have Jalen McDaniels? But then, you know. The ghost of Pat McCaw. He can give you a little switching. He's another wing, you know. But, like, to to be honest, it wasn't, like, too much of an impact beyond that, what we've seen from him this season. And he's gotten plenty of looks. Um, Thad is just not big enough or, like, athletic enough to play center, And it's not worth it. I I like Thad Young, but, like, this team... First of all, we can't say decisively that he's a better option than the other options. No, no, and like sure. if you're talking but about you playing well a 34, 35 year old guy versus a 24 year old guy in McDaniel's or, or Porter, like you might as well go with the younger guy just to see what you can develop there or figure out. Like yeah. I, again, I like that a, a lot as a dude, and I liked him in the center minutes last year and stuff. But just the way that they're they're 14 and 20. Play the play the guy yeah. who's a decade younger or the guys up. Right. So, yeah, V, like, is there anybody else in the rotation you'd love to see get a chance? Because I think Jonte just makes sense. Like, his, it's kind of his turn almost. You hit the nail on the head. He makes sense. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me about what you described about him is that he's someone who will embrace being a complimentary piece. And I think some of our frustrations with guys who have come off the bench until recently is players trying to do too much. Just say his name, man. Precious <laughs> and chill, baby. And so I think you had someone who came in and just played his role, mm-hmm. was happy playing like he's the ninth man in the rotation and is just there to do a limited job. And so when you set those base expectations and you're just providing great verticality contests, which, again, I thought was outstanding when you think about you're coming back after so long, getting this opportunity, it would be so tempting to try and just block one of those shots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... For someone who, as you said, can be foul prone, on those in those moments he was able to avoid it and just contest. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was excellent. Uh, I think um, overall, I thought his positioning, his defensive positioning, was very good um, in those limited minutes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think the one question I would have for you, Blake, is obviously when he's playing with the 905 and he's playing in the G League, teams are trying to get the ball out of his hands, and so those passing lanes, those opportunities, really open up. Here you're in a situation where 
people are saying, hey, take all the shots you want. We, we are not going to give you the opportunity for uh, passing. And so how, how do you think he'll handle that challenge? I think that'll probably be made up for by the fact that he's just playing with much better players. Like the nine, and, and this is a shot at the 905 guys. They've still only played like one game with actual <laughs> the actual roster healthy. Uh, it continues to be uh, half funny, half really depressing. Um, so I think I think a lot of that gets made up by having better players around you. And he is, you know, he's not going to string someone out one on one with his handle, but certainly comfortable enough to take, you know, two hard dribbles into a dribble handoff if that space isn't there to to use it himself. Um, you know, this is this is kind of like close to the hundredth percentile outcome for him. But the way the the nine oh five and Detroit's G League team previously used him, it reminded me a lot of uh, what Isaiah Hartenstein was with Houston's G League team a handful of years ago, where he was. <laughs> That team was like all, I mean, you remember Nick's stories about the the Houston Rockets G League team, right? Like they're all pace and space and lots mm -hmm. of threes and stuff like that. And Hartenstein was a floor spacer who didn't shoot threes. So he had to do a lot of that. I've got room for two, three dribbles at the top of the floor. I'm a good passer, but I don't want to take this shot. And John take, will take the three. But I think you can pick a little bit at that, you know, the, the NBA comp would probably be, and again, these we're talking like very good outcomes here. I'm not saying he's going to be this guy, but the, the kind of style of Kelly Olynyk, where, yeah, he's not going to take that space at the top of the floor and ISO, a, like walk into an ISO and take a mid-range pull-up. He'll knock down a couple of those open pick-and-pop looks, but he's comfortable enough dribbling to get into the next action or be just be patient with a live dribble waiting for a cut to materialize or something like that. There's going to be a big learning curve now. These against NBA defenses and NBA big men will be guarding them and stuff like that. And you're right. He's going to get there. Like he took those two threes last night and missed them both. We know how this goes for, for G League guys who are, who are going to get called up, right? Like you got to make those shots. Even if you're a good shooter in the G League, a good shooter in practice and stuff. Like Malcolm Miller, for example, was a, a very few shooters I've seen over the years in the G League and in practices and warmups and stuff like that. As smooth a stroke that drops as often. But if you go... If you're hesitant and you go like three for 18 in your first NBA opportunities, you're just not going to get a chance again. Yeah. So you're going to have to knock at least a couple of them down, even if you do like the, the other the other parts of his games and the things he can do with that space. He's going to have to hit them at, you know, the 36, 37% clip he's hitting the G League. Yeah. Malcolm Miller is a very nostalgic name for me and V because uh, we had once watched Malcolm Miller give his career performance at a yes. Shoeless Joe's outside of what was then the Hershey Center. Was that the game that he got the spot start out of nowhere to guard Victor Oladipo? No, it was the Raptors beating the Cavs. Mm. Isaiah Thomas version Cavs. Yeah, it was nice. a, sh a showcase. Yes. Oh, yeah, the ESPN games where they had the, yeah. the Cavs yeah, yeah. and the Warriors in the same week because the showcase was in Mississauga. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we were at the showcase, uh -huh. and then obviously we couldn't make it back down, so we went to a Shoeless Joe's that was... <laughs> So I did make it back down. And we also recorded a react pod on my phone in his car. Nice. Yeah. Which uh, is, uh, I think I can actually top region. that for hilarious G League stuff that week. I'm sure I do, gave yeah. Alfonso McKinney a ride back to the arena <laughs> after the 905 game because we were both heading there and he was about to call an Uber. And I was like, I'm driving, man. If you. Yeah. 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 We put on Big Crit, get that Chicago hip hop oh, going for nice. him. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you pass him the ox cord. No. Um, <laughs> I, I gave him the same recommendations I've given Alex off the show here. Like, yeah, you got to fire up the Elliott Smith. Uh, yeah, here's some Joy Division. Oh, that's that's, that's McKinney had a stint with the Warriors too, right? Yeah, and we the literally Cavs. saw him play against. He was guarding Kawhi in the finals. <laughs> Meanwhile, Blake was Ubering this man to the <laughs> to the G League showcase, uh, no less. Uh, last thing, I, and it's, I don't want to harp on this too much, but it's something I'm noticing quite a bit. It's just that like Scotty 
has to play through the calls or the no calls more and more because I just feel as like there's notable moments in games where and and whatever there's like lots of star players complain about calls. He's not the only rapper who complain about calls, but I think it's the degree that it gets him disengaged from the game itself or the next possession um, is a little bit troubling to me. There was a sequence in the end of the Cavs game where he didn't get the call driving on offense. Going back on defense, he just completely ignored Isaac Okoro, who had an open three, and whatever. Okoro's not a strong three-point shooter. He's been okay this season, but it's a wide-open three when you're only up two in the last minute of the game and not even an attempt to get over there. Are you guys seeing something there where it's just like, you know, how do you get him to be more engaged with the game and less engaged with the no-call? I think, I actually think the stuff like the Okoro stuff, yeah. he... I think he thinks that it throws those shooters off more to disrespect them that much. Like, there's multiple times where the he literally... JV Embiid? Where he literally, like, waves at them. I disagree yeah. with it, yeah. but I think that's what he thinks. Okay, okay. And I would obviously prefer for him to just go contest yeah. and be engaged and be in the right positions more often where he's not so far out of the play where he feels like, okay, I'm just better off, you know, doing this. Hmm. And But... I think that's what he's doing, and I don't agree with it. And I, and I agree that, you know, he's got to have that consistency and engagement, um, and that's something that has been – it's been better this season without a doubt, right? Uh, and I think he has to, like, continue to trend upward uh, in that area. And, yeah, I think we're seeing, you know – I, I, in terms of the spectrum, I wouldn't put it at a, a Luka Doncic no, level. No, he's nowhere near <laughs> but, that level. But you also don't want him to but, like yeah. build and get to that point. It's kind of tr trending closer to that end of the spectrum than the other way, right? Yeah. And, you know, in, in a worst-case scenario, like what you want to see is, hey, just wait for a timeout, whatever it is, ex and then express whatever grievance you might have. Stay engaged, stay yeah. locked in for the moment. Because, um, again, as we've seen in some of the bad losses that they've had, you're not good enough to take possessions off. You're yeah, not good enough to have, yeah. yeah. As a team, you're not good enough to take possessions off. As a team, you're not good enough to take quarters off. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to lock in and c continue to stay engaged. And so until you get to that point, <laughs> just keep working at it. Blake, anything? I mean, I, I watched Vince and then Damar and Kyle. This this is nothing yet. Uh, <laughs> Nick, The Nick Nurse years. Yeah, you got to be careful though. Like you, you get, I think you get like one quick sentence and then you got to get back in transition and, and ideally that sentence is coming as you're getting back that's that's where the risk is like you said that's that's maybe better for timeouts but that's experience of relationships with referees as well yeah. there you go okay uh we're gonna take another break we're gonna say goodbye to v been your host will we've been listening to the raptor show on the sports and a shooter next stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Uh, you and I were here earlier this morning uh, when the Raptors were able to help us connect with 
Dennis Schroeder for our weekly appearance. And the Raptors are, it's a travel day for them. So what you'll see is Dennis Schroeder is on the Raptors team bus uh, as we made our call to Dennis. But we, we, we talked about, you know, his new role, moving to the bench, moving to a six-man role. Uh, we talked about just his comments around team culture because, you know, I think that they're, I think it was maybe taken out of context in a way. I think he was trying to speak more positively about it. It's it uh, certainly made a lot more sense when you watch the entire interview than just a, a clip or a headline. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And um, as those things tend to go. Yeah, which which is fine. And, and it's good that we were able to talk about it and just get his sense about uh, what he thinks of the team culture in general. We talked, obviously, about last night's win against uh, the Grizzlies and also, obviously, his thoughts on the Raptors bringing in pieces like Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, and also the behind the scenes of how the rest of the team found out about that trade. So uh, this is our interview with Dennis. Joining us on the program is Dennis Schroeder once again. Dennis, we wanted to start by saying, Froy Noy Yar. Is, 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 how was that? Uh, wasn't that bad? Froy Noy Yar. Okay. Yeah. That's how you say it. Uh, I think mine was better off air, but you're you're the host, so Dennis, you, you get the. We were like sitting in the studio for like ten minutes, <laughs> just saying Freud Noya to each other. It's so yeah, it's very silly. Noise, yeah. yeah, that's Happy New Year, obviously in German. Um, okay, we're, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about your new teammates. We're going to talk about the win you guys had against the Grizzlies last night, which was great. Um, you know, we're going to talk about just this road trip you guys are on. But I think we wanted to just start off by clarifying a couple of comments that you made. After uh, the, the the game against Detroit, obviously an emotional day. Everybody, you know, um, finding out that the trade happened. And then, of course, losing to the Pistons when they were on a 28-game losing streak uh, was obviously really unfortunate. Um, you made some comments after the game just about sort of wanting to get the group back to a point where there's strong culture around the team, where everyone's sort of playing for each other. Um, I, I want to ask, like, how did you think that those comments were perceived and, and what was sort of your true intention behind some of those uh, statements? At the end of the day, you know, uh, we want to create or I mean, have a winning mentality. And uh, I think this organization, you know, won 2019 and uh, they know what it takes, you know, to win. And at the end of the day, I just want to be here uh, long term as well. And we create or create, you know, um, winning habits and, and uh, you know, just uh, be in a winning organization. At, uh, at the end of the day, that's all our way about, you know, win. And um, we just try to uh, do that uh, as best as possible. So when you mentioned in, in those comments, you, you drew a comparison to the German national team that you just won gold with in the World Cup and you know, what that culture was like, how long that took you guys to build, um, you know, whether it's those comments or, or just generally, what are you trying to take from that experience with Germany and help bring to this Raptors locker room, whether it's it's examples from there or, or how to build that culture over a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, uh, it took a long time for sure with the national team, but at the end of the day, I just want to, be, you know, close to everybody, um, enjoying our time together because at the end of the day, we or you know, with our teammates or the organization, have practice and games more than our own families. So um, just embracing that and being excited and, um, 
you know, don't, uh, for me, that's what I do. And uh, don't try to take no, you know, it's for granted. And um, just uh, try to create, you know, um, that everybody is like kind of happy to see each other every single day. And um, I mean, create that culture a little bit. And uh, that's the reason why I'm here. Just try to be a leader and try to show it um, that, you know, we want to do that. Want to, you know, moving forward, want to, uh, be like a, you know, like a family and uh, want to do things off the court as well. That's what we, you know, started to put in as well, going to dinner with like the team, and just uh, hanging out. And um, that's how we started in a national team as well. And it's going well so far. And speaking of dinner, you guys are one win away from Darko being on the hook for a team dinner. So so that's good. Um, Dennis, a- after those comments on Saturday, uh, again, I, you know, the reaction to them was maybe not in the spirit that you meant them. Did you talk to to teammates about that to clarify what you had meant? Or, or um, is that kind of known already in the locker room what your what your intention is and kind of what you what you meant there? At the end of the day, everybody want to win. Um, you know, uh, everybody's competitive. I uh, didn't talk to nobody uh, after those uh, or after the interview um, because everybody, I think, knows uh, that I just want to win. And it's about, you know, winning in the NBA. It's hard to win in the NBA. And uh, just uh, try to keep everybody engaged. And, uh, you know, I think we still can turn things around. Um, and, uh, you know, we try to work every single day to get to that point, you know, and uh, like you mentioned, we got new uh, players in. They're doing a great job of, you know, um, being in that system and um, embracing it. And everybody else in the locker room doing the same thing. And we just want to keep getting better every single day. Yeah, let's talk about those, uh, the new players coming in, because that was obviously a, a huge trade that took place uh, just before uh, the the Neue, uh as we have previously tried to butcher and say in German. Um, no, but seriously though, uh, take us through that day. Like, how did you guys find out the news that OG Malachi Precious had, 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 were leaving the team and that Emmanuel quickly and RJ Bear was, was joining the team? Yeah, he was in uh, Detroit. You know, uh, having the breakfast meetings, and uh, you know, Coach uh, mentioned that you know you guys. Don't see three players right now, you know, been with us all season. It was, uh, of course, shocked for everybody because, I mean, we didn't really expect it, you know. Um, and they family, they friends, uh, because, I mean, I've been with them like two, three months. But at the end of the day, like I said, we spent uh, the most time with them, you know, with our teammates, uh, coaches, uh, front office, whoever. And um, that people is not there no more. You know, um, it's always uh, kind of shocking. Um, of course, uh, OG been there seven years. Um, for him, it was tough as well. Everybody reached out. Everybody, you know, got to see him, talk to him. Bell uh, and Precious, same thing. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we just tried to do the best as possible, you know, to go out and um, still win a ball game. I think we played really hard um, that game as well. Um, but, I mean, we came up short. And, I mean, to have, you know, quickly and RJ Barrett gives us a little, you know, um, I mean, the guard who can handle still, uh, RJ who can attack and transition, um, even shoot threes quickly, you know, being um, kind of like a Tyrese Maxi, 
couple of screens. Um, uh, I mean, uh, it was, uh, you know, for us, um, it, I think it was great. Um, OG, I mean, Precious and Mel, we love them. Um, but I think uh, we just, you know, uh, got to keep moving forward as the, you know, the MBA side of it, the business side of it. And uh, we try to make the most out of it. So, Dennis, you've been on both sides of this. You've been traded in season. You've been on teams that made trades and brought new guys in. You show up to OVO Center on New Year's Day, and those guys are there for the first time. What is that part of the process like, you guys getting to know these guys and trying to work them in with no no real practice before the first game? Yeah, they. I mean, they came before to the arena just to make sure, you know, they got the, the basic plays when it with the coaches so they know what's going on uh, where we play. And, um, I mean, they did a great job, you know, went there early. Um, and I think they did a great job in their first game, you know. Uh, and we won that game as well against Cleveland. I think they dealt it very well. And uh, we made it, you know, a little easier for them, I think, because uh, we want them to be a big part of, you know, what we're doing. They're still young. Um, like I said, you know, good shooting, uh, transition, um, you know, just... Uh, what fits in our system and, you know, um, building the team around Scotty. I think that's uh, two great pieces, you know, we brought in. And uh, we just uh, want to make sure, like I said, um, just want to get better every single day and, um, you know, try to uh, push the, um, try to keep pushing and keep getting better every single day. Um, I think then we're going to be fine, you know, end of the year. Dennis, I noticed that that shoot-around as well quickly had taken Malachi's spot in those shooting groups. I know you and Malachi and Garrett Temple had had some pretty intense shooting competitions at the end of practices. You warn them what those are going to be like? You know, you know how, how high the level of competition is in your shooting groups? Yeah, nothing going to change there. You know, uh, always competitive. Of course, Mel, you know, I try to. And he did a great start this season. Uh, I mean, two just being confident and come out there, you know, and change the game defensively and even offensively sometimes, you know, um, playing this ball very, very well. And uh, I'm happy for him. I hope, you know, that he's uh, going to get, you know, his time uh, with New York and um, going to play a good role uh, for them. But, I mean, quickly is now with us and... Uh, no, same rules apply, so uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be very competitive, and uh, yeah, we're going gonna to be uh, going at it for sure. You guys are going to learn Bure real quick if you don't know it already, oh, right? <laughs> What's that? They, they're going to learn Bure real quick if they don't know it already. Oh, yeah, they, they know it already. No, that's okay. the NBA game, yeah. so uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody know that. Yeah, that's where that's where they're heading for uh, the flight. That's where they're gonna uh, do that game. Okay, listen. Um, you know, with uh, with the game last night, uh, obviously you guys were able to take down the Memphis Grizzlies. I I noticed a lot in this game. Darko uh, had you on John Morant, and and I was curious because obviously you guys had played them last year with the Lakers, and you had a lot of the minutes guarding John Morant. Um, what were some of the like the experiences like? Did you like kind of could you drop back on what you did last year with the Lakers? in trying to guard against Ja, who obviously is an incredible player. Yeah, amazing player, man. Um, one of the best, you know, point guards in this league. And, uh, I mean, 
phase of the NBA, you know, future phase of the NBA. It's a couple of those uh, in the league. And I mean, we played them, um, like you said, last year in the playoffs. And I think we did a great job uh, of the game plan. I think uh, the coach started with the Lakers and uh, Darvingham did a great job uh, coming up with that, you know, sending him left. Because if he comes off, you know, left uh, with the pick and roll, he kind of looks for, you know, the the hostage dribble, and um, you know, and then for the the floater, if he mm. goes right, you know, he's doing that flamingo dribble, and then after that, you know, what comes next? Uh, and uh, I, I mentioned that, you know, um, in, in um, the the film session earlier uh, that day and shoot around that we might want to send him left. And uh, Coach Darko knew, you know, uh, because he was on that training staff, <laughs> that uh, coaching staff, yeah. that we did a great job. And uh, he was like, man, I like it, I like it. And that's the reason why I always say Darko doing a great job of, you know, listening to his players. Uh, sometimes when, you know, somebody got a suggestion about uh, a different uh, defensive coverage. And, um, I mean, it worked well. I mean, he still played a great game, but uh, I think we limited a little bit, you know, and slowed him down a little bit and uh, got the W. Yeah. Um, we got to ask you sometime about what the flamingo dribble is. I mean, you can picture it. It's pretty descriptive term yeah. there, the flamingo uh, dribble. I used to, I mean, in Germany, we called the flamingo dribble. It's that drop, you know, dropping the ball and then do the hezzy without no dribble. Oh, okay. All right. Got you. Um, got you. The jab step to the right and going left. I mean, that's how he caught a lot of bodies um, if yeah. you're watching his yeah. highlight tapes. He did that to Wemby the other day. He, he He's done it to Jakob, exactly. your teammate, yeah. a few times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah a few times, yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, too, about, you know, your conversations with Darko because, you know, we haven't spoken to you in two weeks. How was that conversation like when he decided to have that conversation with you about that as you've been starting all year, but I think going forward, you know, we want to try to see what you look like, at, at, you know, in a six-man type of role. How did that conversation come about, and, and how did you receive it with Darko? I mean, he came up to me and he said, man, uh, we got, you know, 29 games in, 30 games in. Want to make a change? And I always said, I'm, I'm uh, professional. Mm. Every single time when I, you know, I'm on the court, uh, I try to do everything best possible for the team and uh, try to win, you know, and he thought... It's going to be great, you know, to lift um, the bench up, uh, to make sure, you know, I come in as a six man and um, help the second unit. And um, I think it's, um, it's it's been great so far as well. You know, every role, um, I'm going to, you know, make sure I'm going to take real, you know, good pride of it and uh, just try to make the best out of it. And um, I think... Uh, you know, just being a professional over the last five years, playing with Hall of Famers and uh, always, you know, try to find my my way to affect, you know, just winning. And, um, I think uh, so far uh, it's working, um, especially, you know, we're quickly coming in and RJ Barrett, I think it's uh, working really, really well. With quickly in particular, you know, if, if you're whether you're coming off the bench or starting, you guys are going to play a lot of minutes together, more than you played alongside Malachi. He didn't play a ton of minutes with Jalen Brunson in New York because Tibbs just doesn't play that way that much. When you and quickly are on the court together, what changes for you? Are you anticipating, you know, setting him up, looking for him coming off the ball for those threes? 
Um, are, are you looking to come off the ball a little bit more? H- how do you think that that chemistry will develop for you two? Like I said, uh, I, um, you know, the last couple of years with a lot of lot of um, great players, and um, quickly is one of them. You know, he's still young, but I think he is going to take over uh, this year, and uh, he's going to make sure that you know um, he had a lot of great games last season, uh, being a starter uh, with the New York Knicks, and I think. Uh, setting him up, of course, still being aggressive, but setting him up when we, you know, got that two-man lineup out there, I think um, we should play faster, you know, one pistols, uh, slip-outs. Uh, I think it's um, great, you know, to have that. Of course, on the defensive end, we got to make sure we rebound, but I think on the offensive end, uh, we can play much, much, much faster. And um, uh, second game, third game tomorrow, we um, still learning each other, but uh, I want to just let him know, and he knows now already that uh, I want to make sure he um, in the right spots. Uh, we talking about you know what he likes, what I like, um, and uh, we just got to keep building that chemistry. And of course, then him with Scotty is really important with Pascal. Um, that everybody you know get involved in that, and um, I think that we'd be fine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Dennis, we've taken a lot of your time. So last question. We, we've been looking at your sunglasses, and, and they're very reflective. And I think, who is that sitting across from you? Is that Pascal? Like, what's going on? Because you're at the team bus right now. So all we can see is these sunglasses, yeah. man. I try to, you know, uh, I try to uh, uh, blow nobody's cover, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we are at the, at the airport now. Uh, Got you. About to about to get on the plane and um, they have a, like a three and a half or four hour flight. So going to get some rest and then we got a team dinner tonight, uh, get together and then uh, be ready for a shoot around tomorrow. There you go. These are, uh, these are obviously really exhausting trips, six games across a number of different cities in the West Coast, but especially with two new guys in there. Can this be a good trip for you guys like as a group, like camaraderie wise and everything? Yeah, I think so. I think we got to use it. I mean, everybody respect when we at home, you know, people got families. I got three kids, my wife, uh, my people. Um, it's always tough to get together there. But I mean, when we on the road, we try to, you know, make the most out of it, playing cards together in the room, you know, go to dinner. Um, I think it's uh, it's always great, you know, just to be in the round and um, enjoy that, you know, being uh, in the best league in the world and, Enjoy everything, embrace, uh, embrace it. And um, I mean, I been eleven years now in it, and uh, really grateful for that. But um, just you know, um, enjoying every single day. I'm, uh, uh, I can you know live my dream kind of. Yeah. There you go. That's a great attitude. All right, Dennis. Uh, we wish you a safe flight and uh, keep the winds going. All right, it's looking really good right now. All right, man. Got you. That was our weekly interview with uh, Dennis Schroeder, who was kind enough to call us from the Raptors team bus. Um, yeah, I'm still going to be wondering who was in directly across from him because you could see it in the reflection on the sunglasses. My my best guess is Pascal Siakam, probably wearing a Red Bull hat. But uh, yeah. I'm just I'm still fascinated by the term flamingo dribble. Um, so for anyone who didn't catch that, uh, Dennis was trying to describe you know really insightful stuff on how to guard jaw and. Uh, jaw when he goes when you can force him left he gets into 
Dennis called the, the the hostage dribbler, trying to keep the guy on the on, on mm-hmm. your hip so you can get into that floater range. And we went back after that interview. This is a benefit of getting to do the interview this morning. We went back and watched some of the jaw defensive possessions from last night, and Dennis yeah, did well. it really effectively. Yeah. And when you have that specific a book on a guy, and you know Jaw's probably going to go into floater range, not to the rim. Mm-hmm. Immediately, it helps your bigs out uh, a little bit because they they have to plan for fewer options. But the flamingo dribble term for when Jaw goes to his right and does the kind up, of man. The no dribble crossover that I, I think more people know is like the Smitty in mm. the NBA. Um, we could not find like like you Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. Flamingo dribble is uh, not a common term. I'm going to use it always now, though. Yeah, there you go. Um, I hope in the game. I hope that's what you mean is in the game. But um, no, maybe when I'm, we figure no, out what I'm it not going is. to use the 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 move. I will use the term uh, flamingo dribble. I can barely do a dribble. Right, uh, just a regular dribble, like yeah, not, I mean, not not no no adjective, no, just I, dribble. I can dribble, but I'm not pulling out a flamingo dribble. That's yeah. for sure. Well, well, hopefully we'll get a chance to see it at some point in the future. But we are going to take our last break. Uh, thanks to Dennis for giving the interview, and uh, yeah, I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Finally, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Blake Murphy and Alex Wong, who makes his triumphant return to the show. Uh, for people listening on the podcast, uh, he is rocking close to a faux hawk. He had cut his hair and shown his hairline for the first time in uh, many shows, and he's wearing an insanity uh, tee. So what's going on, Alex? Welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, it's been battling a non-COVID illness. Still non-COVID as of this morning. To be clear, he did test and it was negative. That's why he's here. Yeah, it took me two hours. Actually, it took me two days to find COVID tests in the city, man. Hard to find masks as well. Where's Olivia Chow at, man? Um, yeah. yeah, is this a faux hawk, Blake? No. Okay. No. It is, it is cut Well, because it's not a faux hawk is a mohawk, mm. but done foley. Uh, this is... Emmanuel Foley? This is clearly not <laughs> the in the style soul. of a... Now, look, the cut, the way it is shaped on the sides and the length of the spike up front, he could faux hawk this no problem, but he has not styled it in the shape of a faux hawk by way of going spikes everywhere. Uh, We need to see a little bit more uh, coming to a point down the middle. Not, not, you don't have to do it all the way, but like you'd have to see it, you know, pushed in a little bit from the side. We need a flamingo style. Flamingo Mm. dribble, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, let's go around the NBA. It's been a while since we've gone around the NBA, man. And let's start uh, right here in Toronto. Okay. Um, so new acquisitions, of course, and new nicknames for this team. One that has been going around. I haven't, sorry, I, I didn't properly credit this to the right person on Twitter. Please reach out, yell at me. But because um, Barnes, RJ Barrett, and Emmanuel Quickly, their names form uh, BBQ. Mm-hmm. And add in Pascal. Um, spicy BBQ is the name for this foursome right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we, uh, are we approving this or are we moving on? I wish we had a Korean on the team so Night- we could have <laughs> Korean BBQ. That'd well, be so sick. Well, the addendum, actually, uh, you guys go ahead first. I have an addendum after. I, I don't mind it. Um, it's less corny than like, you know, at the height of soccer, for example, like a decade ago, it was like MSN was like Messi, Suarez, and Neymar. <laughs> no way. Was the attacking trio of Barcelona against uh, BBC. 
of Bale, Whoa. no way, Bale, Come Benzema, on. and Cristiano uh, for okay. Real Madrid. This is like when Sam Decker was the BBL MVP. <laughs> oh, okay, I was I thought uh, going you know with <laughs> bad acronyms that <laughs> yeah, suggest other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I actually think BBQ is kind of nice because you you know you, you like you, you cook another team. You know, yeah. like it, it fits mm. uh, theme wise, and I think Pascal on top of it is tough. I mean, you basically only have Yak who you're left leaving out of there. Yeah, spicy yak BBQ. We can leave yak know? out of it. It's fine. like a like a really cultural dish. Maybe? Like, do you think Blake? Do you think this is good enough? Like, front of the program, NSS Miro was able to get uh, spice and dice onto uh, the Raptors broadcast yeah, via Matt that's Devlin. A good one. Okay. Do you think spicy barbecue, spicy BBQ can reach that level? I appreciate trying to make sure Pascal is included in this. Uh, yeah. I think it just works way better without the spicy part of it. Like, it, okay. like, look, we're going to have some lineups where those three are on the floor and Pascal's not. Uh, I think you just run with okay. the, the BBQ trio there. I, I, I sincerely appreciate the effort of working spicy in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's, it's a little too clunky. Now, I know that Grady Dick is under a Planet Fitness program right now yeah. um, to, to get back. It's a New Year's resolution. But if, if, if you add him to the young mix, right... Oh boy! It could be spicy BBQ and then Grady's name. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? This Grady is... did. Yeah. What are we, what, we haven't I, watched I, How Hungry Are You? Yeah, I didn't serve. Yeah, the surge served that one time. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, anyways, um, Grady Dick, uh, nine oh five tonight. By the way, um, against Kobe Buffett. Every, everyone will react uh, rationally to I'll Kobe be... dropping thirty. Everyone will look at the box score, see which one has a better box score, and say their agenda or reaffirming their agenda. That's that's kind of how online. That's how we goes. do. Yeah. I saw that Jalen Hood uh, Shafino mm, yeah. shoot a crazy brick yesterday in that <laughs> Lakers he game. So I guess at least we 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 missed out on that one. Had, that was good. Had the Moy Hodge look in that, the garbage <laughs> time of that one. By the way, I have one more yeah. nickname thing. We basically. have a lot of nicknames, but go ahead. Yeah, go I, have ahead a, I have a nickname thing from this straight, and, okay. and I, I can't yeah. imagine there are a lot of Knicks fans listening. But please stop trying to give a guy whose first name is literally OG a nickname. Don't what, don't what are they force calling him? Yeah. Like OG Clamps Ananobi. It's like his name is OG. Oh. His first name is literally a nickname you give people. Just roll with OG as a name. You don't need to like look, I, I like doing the clamp emoji mm. on a Instagram highlight or whatever after I, I lock Samson down or whoever it is. But mm. like nice. you don't you don't need to force a nickname for a guy whose name is literally OG. Um I by the way, I'm really enjoying the Knicks fans like just seeing regular OG appearance, like games, mm-hmm. and being like completely wowed. It's similar to us, like looking at, relatively speaking, like regular Emmanuel Quickly games or regular RJ Barrett games, and being like, oh my God, this is mind blowing. Like after every game now, I'm seeing people going to tracking stats. Uh, I saw one, I think, of courtesy of Tommy Beer, uh, who's a Knicks reporter or fan. Um, I thought that was a new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. We'll never drink that. But uh, he tweeted out the, the stat that, like, DeMar DeRozan was one of three when guarded against OG. Yeah. Against all other Knicks, DeMar was nine of ten. Mm. And I'm like, man, I've been seeing OG guard DeMar well for, like, four or five years yeah. now. Summertime, springtime. Also, like, yeah. time. I, I like Tommy, and this isn't yeah. a thing with him. But for anyone who is seeing or using those, be very, very careful with uh, individual matchup stats in NBA. They are notoriously oh, not yeah. well they're done. They're not reliable, right? Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not well done. People in NBA yeah. analytics teams yeah. are like, don't use them. Like, I think they're helpful for like. Mm-hmm. 
trying to capture how much time a guy spent guarding whom and stuff, but I uh, wouldn't go too far. Uh, you also don't want to use single game plus minus too much, but OG's had uh, plus, was plus 35 yesterday hmm. and was, I think, plus 19 in his first one. So and a he's, close uh, game, too. He has the highest plus minus in the NBA uh, since the trade. Yeah, nice. and if yeah. you want to catch OG and OB, just turn on the next game at any point because I don't think he has uh, sat <laughs> outside of fouling out. <laughs> Like, this is Tom Thibodeau's, like, new toy, and he's going to run this He into came the out with, like, 40 seconds left in last night's yeah. game because they were up 16 with a, less than a minute to go. Like, Adama Sanogo was in the game for Chicago. And then, and then Tom no Thibodeau. Way that man does not play for Aston And then Villa, Tom man. Thibodeau was what? finally like, okay, you guys can get out of here. More nicknames. Mm. Um, I saw Maple Maxi for Emmanuel quickly. I don't hate that. Um, okay. I just don't but think don't that like we need the, to tie yeah. his legacy to another player, like. Okay. Yeah. We're searching right now. We got Maple Mamba and Maple Maxi. Like. Yeah. So Maple Mamba. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's so funny. <laughs> it's, it's for RJ. <laughs> Look, I I love maple throwing Mamba. maple on the front of anything for the Canadian guys. Like like Wiggins being Maple Jordan was obviously <laughs> yeah. ridiculous, but Maple Mamba is funny, especially Why now. Is it so stupid. Now that I know, now that we did the Chinese nicknames yeah, yeah. thing, and yeah, I know yeah. how many players have Mamba related yeah, yeah. Chinese nicknames. It like if you had told me this six months ago, I've been like, no, you can't give a Kobe nickname mm-hmm. to someone else. Now that I know, like half the yeah, NBA is, is like is pancake, pancake Mamba. Mamba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I'm all for Maple uh, Mamba. I love that one. Goodness. Headband Row. This, these are nicknames on RJ's basketball reference. All right, hit me. Star J. Star J. Yeah. Like, like Starberry? Like RJ, but Star J. Like, like he a star. Nah. No? Broadway. I guess we got to change this one. Like Broadway, Barrett's not going to work anymore. It's not going to be like King Street Bath- Barrett. <laughs> Barrett, yeah. <laughs> Massey Hall Barrett. <laughs> Massey Hall Mamba yeah, would have Massey a good ring to it. Yeah, Massey Mamba is actually kind of sick. Um, Duke of York? What's going on? That's a bar on King, man. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right. So no good nicknames the one, for RJ. So the one I'm most curious about, and I had never heard him mm. called this, is yeah. another one on there is Ducky. Uh, right. What What is this so in I, reference I don't to? know, but like mm. Ducky is like an East Coast term of endearment. Like like my grandma called me Ducky all yeah. the time when mm. I was a little kid. And so so I have no idea where this comes from for R.J. Barrett, but I like it as a East Coast roots person. It, right. It's a very nice like old lady. You, you know, you see your mom's friend and she calls you Ducky. Duck is my favorite animal, but uh, that's to, apropos to, of nothing. To eat? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, but also I just like that they can. Quack Mamba over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, my first email was Pork Ducky. Valley. Duck. This guy's <laughs> was Ducky Joey Duck Quack. I'm serious. Um, Joe Alfon, yeah. who you know we know for his personality. <laughs> also submitted a few on Twitter yesterday. All right, let's hear it. Emmanuel Griftley. Nah, no, nah, he doesn't play for the foul like that. No. I don't okay. think so. That's unfair. And then unfair. Uh, a reference to the philosopher Emmanuel Camp. Mm. Emmanuel can't be stopped. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. I don't, I don't know that. This is what Katie was talking about when he said blog boys. Like, yeah. <laughs> Joe Wolf on a peak blog boy. Yeah, I don't Definitely know that. Uh, I don't know that everyone's up enough on their Emmanuel Kant. Oh, uh, Kant philosophy. Oh, it's Kant. Um, yeah, he's the mm. you know famous. If you've ever heard the term, the categorical imperative, or uh, like the the quotes about like theory without experience is whatever. Uh, you can get into some very cl- like. Joe Wolfon's first feature on Emmanuel Quickly is going to be loaded with Emmanuel Kant's references, but I don't think as a nickname it's going to work very well. No, him and Lewis are in this bag, man. Him and Lewis are the two go-to Raptors reporters or writers. Yeah, be would, careful. Would you might catch kind of Dune spoilers. Did I pronounce his name right? 
Yeah. Um, let's see what else. So we were messing around with the manual quickly, mm-hmm. kind of name format. <laughs> John Tay. Just rip it up, Emmanuel quickly's name. Yeah, I want to see yeah. if I can do 30 minutes of this. John Tay right. Porter. Yeah. How about Emmanuel Slowly? He does move fairly slow for a guy yeah. who's 24, but obviously coming off the knee injuries. Yeah. But also, I don't mind it. I kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, we got one. I Emmanuel yeah. Slowly. All right. You know, you know how Darko um, famously wants everyone, like the Joker, to put a smile on their face? Mm hmm. Emmanuel Smiley. He That's, really is grabbing every point guard and being like, "Why so serious?" <laughs> Emmanuel Smiley for Darko. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I guess if Malachi was still here. Yeah, Malachi. By the way, damaged goods arrived in New York with an ankle injury. Yeah, what happened? Like, I wasn't aware. Stepping of this. off the plane. I feel yeah. like don't don't the players have to pass through a physical? I guess it's like yeah, not but, a serious like, injury. Yeah, you're passing a physical to make either. sure, like, yeah, when they look at your knees, they're not held together with silly mm. string. I don't think like your ankles a little swollen is going to be a big deal. Also. I don't imagine he's in the plans uh, the, yeah. for New York anytime soon. By the way, speaking of nicknames, uh, you probably would have gotten there already, but the Knicks fans immediately calling him Evil Dante. Yes, I have this on the <laughs> list as well. Very good. Malachi has been uh, called Evil Dante DiVincenzo, nice. which is yeah. amazing. All right. Yeah, I mean, it really is like the, the South Park bit where like there's an evil version of everyone. They just have a goatee, and that's how you... <laughs> I guess Community did it at one point, too. Yeah, but I think yeah, South yeah, Park yeah. did it that's first. Right. Yeah. Everyone, the evil version of you just has a goatee. Yeah, that's why yeah. it was so easy to hate on the, the Super Team Warriors. Even Clay had a goatee for a while. And uh, Eric Flynn seemed pretty happy that Malachi ended in New uh, landed in New York. I yeah. think he thanked Shout out the Raptor Knicks. Nation. Yeah. yeah, I think he thanked the Knicks. He's just a thankful guy. Yeah, respects. Mm. Um, yeah, that's it for the nickname segment, unless right. you guys have anything. I, I thought you had more Emmanuel Quickly nicknames, but I guess not. No, we, we'll have to keep them uh, off air. Okay. All-star voting. Mm. First fan returns. Yes. Today. So... You know, Scotty Barnes, obviously the name for Raptors fans to keep an eye on. He did not even crack the top 10 in the Eastern Conference front court. So, so among his own position? So number 10, right. Paolo Bancaro, mm. 163K votes. Kyle Kuzma, 178K. Mm. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Mikhail Bridges, and then Bam Adebayo, Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid. And Giannis. Kind of surprised he's not in the top 10, right, Blake? Yeah, Barry. So two two things here uh, before getting into, yeah, this is a little flummoxing that it, this is that he's not in the top 10 here. Raptors fans usually represent pretty well in, in these votes. So the first thing I'll say here is Raptors fans are also notoriously slow to the fan vote. When Kyle and DeMar mm-hmm. made their big pushes to be all-star starters in the past, it was almost always a huge push on the last balloting. Like Kyle and DeMar would start like fifth or sixth among East guards. And then fans would like get to it at the last moment. I don't know if that's like a like prove them kind of thing, like that part of the fan base where like it takes you getting disrespected to hit the polls. But mm. either way, I'd expect this to come up. I'd expect there to be a response here. Uh, the second thing is I, I got asked this a couple times on Twitter. So for anyone who who doesn't remember how the format works, the fan vote counts for a good chunk of what determines the all-star starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, fans count for 50%. Media count for 25%. Players count for 25%. But there are still all the reserve spots that are voted on by uh, coaches, usually assistant coaches and video coordinators, but it's supposed to be head coaches. Oh, uh, Tam doing this? In each oh, conference. Noah yeah, no Lewis. Getting in. Um, <laughs> Pure Hooper, Noah Lewis? So don't worry too much. Like, certainly get out and vote if you want the mm-hmm. Toronto Raptors to be a part of the All-Star game. This would be their best chance of being starters. But it will not mean that they can't make it. it this only helps determine the starters. Yeah. Mm. I blame this on two things. Um, okay. Number one, you know, Raptor Social is wasting a couple of days pushing OG for All Star. 
15 yeah, so, points a game. So that cost Scotty a little bit. Uh, and that's an issue I've always had with, you know. Yeah, well, it's like every, politics. It's every politics, team does right? it. Yeah, but like you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could just vote for all Raptors, but I, I think it's just. The a, Warriors did one for Clay, and the highlights were yeah. all about previous seasons. Oh, they're showing good 2019 play, play No, they were showing play? like his history as a player. Okay. And on the same night, Clay went to the podium and was pulled at Jeff Teague. He's like, yeah, I told Steve Kerr I suck now. Because mm. like he was talking about like the latter stage of his career. Yeah, realizing uh, you're washed is, is, a, is a wild experience. No, you got to embrace it. Um, and then the second part is Raptors fans have been too busy trying to get Bobby and Masai fired. They haven't been doing the hashtag. So yeah, now I mean, we got to refocus. I, I suppose. I, I think um, what's... What's disappointing to, to see this is just like, yeah, as you mentioned, like Toronto has a huge fan base. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, are, so, where are we right now? Like this, to see, for example, I know, whatever, I'm sure Shangun gets a huge push from Turkish fans as mm-hmm. well. Um, but the fact that he has 335,000 and Scotty at minimum has lower or at maximum has lower than 163, which is the lowest on this list. So half. Less than yeah, half. Less than most. half. No, but like Kyle yeah. Kuzma, you can't even beat Kyle Kuzma. Like, yeah. You could say that, like, okay, obviously Turkey's behind. Sure. A Shangun, like Canada should be behind whichever player that we're trying to push for. So. Also, yeah. While you're doing those ballots, by the way, I'm putting Raptors on there. Uh, Shea's only third among Western Conference guards. I know it's Luca and Steph. Mm. I get it. But also, and and I would totally understand if Shea doesn't end up starting in the All Star game. But he's like at worst number three in MVP candidacy right now. You have to pit, fill out the Western Conference when you're filling out the Eastern Conference anyway. So while you're voting for Toronto Raptors, just throw mm. Shea in there. Um, mm-hmm. You guys remember back in the day when they would hand you like a Scantron card yeah. in the arena? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah like so a punch card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I missed that. Cause... I would like cut like at Blue Jays games, and this is the era where, I mean, they had Scantron cards, so obviously yeah. the Blue Jays were not quite as good. You could stack like 30 of them and like over the course of the game just like punch holes in a bunch of them and like just stuff the ballot box that way. This guy was that going that hard for Lyle Overbay? Yeah. I John mean, look, th- look, the Blue. you want to talk about social media teams promoting – Bad all-stars. Oh, man. There was a year where the Toronto Blue Jays had a social media campaign to get middle reliever Steve Delabar into Ooh. the all-star Yo, Delabar game. was a beast, Hashtag though. raise the bar. No oh, way. They, they had a hashtag maybe, just for him. Maybe we need one for Scotty. I think that's. I think that might be. That might help. Also, by the way, I guess no one is at all trying to push Pascal for the all-star game, even though he's also been well, awesome. Well, I think people are trying to push Pascal the Indy for a different way. Yeah, I guess I, so. I think we need to see if Pascal can adjust to Darko's system first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I only have one other thought on the all-star mm-hmm. voting returns, and this is similar. I mean, it's a similar situation to Scotty. Sixth among West guards is Anthony Edwards with under 300,000 votes. Mm. Kind of thought he would have captured the NBA fan base more by now. The Minnesota Timberwolves yeah. are, have been arguably the best team in basketball. Anthony Edwards is averaging crazy numbers super mm. efficiently. He's a highlight machine on both ends of the floor. I, I, I expected mean, yes, I know, him though. to be higher up there, man. Yes or no, though, because I, I do feel like this is like a big snapshot of like moments, right? And if anything else, like Tyrese Halliburton leading all guards in the Eastern Conference, for example. Sure, but but is, he's the exception because if you look around, that's the in-season the, tournament effect, I think. Yeah, but mm-hmm. like these all-star, like look at who is in the spots everywhere. This is an old vote. Like this does not yeah. seem like a young people vote. Like LeBron, KD, Anthony Davis, Kawhi, Paul George as five of the top six Western Conference frontcourt players. Obviously, those are all good players, but you're not seeing a ton of youth in there um Steph obviously among the guards but James Harden still fourth among guards in the in the Western Conference you've got Kyrie Bro, higher than Anthony like Edwards in, of wine in China I think he's good like 
I'm just saying it, it skews he's o- good in the far east. It skews older than yeah. I would have thought. Like Jimmy sure. Butler being still fourth among Eastern Conference frontcourt players. Obviously, Jimmy Butler's still really, really good. Mm. He's missed a ton of time this year. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know. I kind of, I guess I got used to the all-star vote skewing a little like younger star focus. And maybe this is just the, the era we're in the NBA where so many really guys who are going to go down as legendary are in kind of the twilight of their careers. Maybe that's just the moment we're in, but I was a little surprised to see these returns. And really Tyrese is the only young guy who's kind of like, Hey, I'm here Mm -hmm. on this fan ballot. And again, it's first ballot returns and things like that. Um, but it's a little surprising. Yeah, we're fully in a bubble too, right? Because like a, an argument will be like, okay, Scotty's averaging twenty points, nine rebounds, five assists. He's only one of like X number of guys who does in the league. His BPM is really good. Like BPM is not moving the average like one million people who vote Please. on like Giannis, for example. EPM. We're we're gonna use EPM. Okay, BPM. We prefer EPM, EPM to BPM. Or what's BPM? BPM is Come box on, plus minus, so it's box score. It's oh, all based on box this. score input. You taught so me this. EPM takes box score plus minus, oh, but yeah. also takes a bunch of other like These are all the buttons when I'm on the treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you have yeah. a good point, Blake. And I think the thing is like, you know, obviously this voting is like whatever, like worldwide and stuff. And like Will mentioned, some of these players have a huge international presence. And it's also like, which players are being marketed to, like, the general slash, like, casual fan, right? Like, even though we know that the Timberwolves are, like, crushing it this year and Anthony Edwards has made the leap, like, how often are they, like, on, like, national TV, et cetera, et cetera, things like that, right? Like, they're not on the Christmas schedule. They're not featured and talked about in a way. So I think this this fan voting stuff is actually interesting because it does reflect some of that. By the way, uh, we have an update from a couple of people on Twitter. RJ's, uh, the ducky nickname comes from, that is RJ Sr.'s nickname from as far back as high school. So I guess it's just oh, been adopted. Oh, this RJ. is Ro- Rowan. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so Rowan, that is Rowan. So thank you to the couple of people who uh, who mentioned that on Twitter. Damn, we were not outside in 1980, apparently. <laughs> you weren't even. I mean, I'm sure it's also Why? been like explained Why? on broadcast before. Okay, I just right. somehow, it's, it, honestly, it feels odd to have missed it. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like being around, like Rowan is, no, the, it has been, yeah. is the GM of no, the, we, the we national team. We've all talked to Rowan at some point. Yeah, but next yeah. time I, like, I had What's never include that in before. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead and do that. I wonder how that's gonna go. Let's see how that's gonna go, guys. Is Derek White gonna make the All Star team? Man, I'm stressed out. Like, I mean, it's gonna come down to coaches. Yeah, he's not gonna make it, yeah, he's he's not gonna gonna make it in votes, the voting, but, but like JJ Reddick's been giving him like a huge bump. Like he's getting talked about now as an All Star. You guys think Derek White yeah, is sure. deserving? I don't know, man. Wally Zerbiak was an all-star. I, I don't feel that passionate. I don't know. I don't know it. why I'm very anti-Derek White as an all-star. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's what not going to make it, though. What is he, the so. third, fourth most important player on that team? No, yeah. see, White, you know? see how, you I, put him? <laughs> how I feel about the Derek White candidacy is like, uh, yeah. I actually think the more slanderous Celtics thing is to promote Derek White because then you get to shade Tatum and Brown oh, in the same. Okay, Derek okay. White's actually their best and most important player. Yeah. By the way, I would say he's like between three and four. Okay. I, I think, think Chris Tass has been awesome for yeah. him. Yeah. And, and Chris Tass was dressed like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed the other day. Yeah. Uh, he was dressed like a lot of Europeans. So There's like a very classic like European getup. You know? Yeah. Um, like not not quite as European as DeMontis Sabonis going on NBA TV in a full denim suit that's super baggy oh, with yeah? like his like uh, like very basic haircut. It was it was pretty amusing. Hmm. It happened the yeah, other week. Check yeah. that out. Damn. Yeah. Um, what else? For the three of us talking fashion, man. Trouble. Dressed like Grimace. Trouble in La La Land, guys. Um, the Lakers lost to the Heat yesterday. Mm. That's their third loss in a row. Mm. They've lost nine of twelve. 
They're now 17 and 18 on the season. Um, if you take out their 7 and 0 run in the in-season tournament, they're 10 Gener- and 18. Generational. In, uh, Hard. In garbage regular season games on normal courts. Um, and today, this morning, there was a report from uh, Shams Sharania that there's a growing disconnect between Darvin Ham and the Lakers locker room around his rotations and adjustments. Um, yeah, I thought I thought LeBron was having a pretty peaceful LeBron-type season, but I guess here we go again. Well, they lost last night um, to Duncan Robinson making a whole bunch of huge threes to mm. pull away. Uh, Jaime Hawkins Jr. knocking down some big threes. Um, you know, even Kevin Love getting in on the act, hitting some shots. Basically because no Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. in the game and you're playing the Heat on your home court. Like, even when the Raptors lost the Heat shorthanded without Jimmy Butler, we were still freaking out to some degree. So, yeah, I mean, I think for the Lakers, it's concerning. They have real, like, championship aspirations at least that's what they want to do with this group and it's concerning to me that like look the reporting in this by Bo Shams and Jovan of The Athletic they had six sources <laughs> confirm six yo you, they you, said not one yeah not two you, you know who they were yo, not six three. Wow, that's like half the roster six man. guys came off the bench for the Lakers yesterday yo, all six of them six, walked yo. out Jovan just did a lineup J- Jalen Hushtafino snitching not two yeah. not three um, not four not five <laughs> Not six. Yo, oh. yo, six sources. Yo, MJ, yo, MJ got six rings. Broad yo. got six sources. No, imagine you in court and they're like, yeah, we have six witnesses. I'm like, nah, I'm done. I'm done out here. Yeah. Like, I'm done. You know? Yeah, I can counter. Look, I can counter question one witness. But yo, six, six, six sources is um, so funny, man. Honestly, the most concerning part about this uh, game for the Lakers is that the two guys they want to trade are hurt. D'Angelo Russell and, uh-huh. and Rui. Um, this oh, is yeah. just so funny though. This like, is the new KCP like, trade package yeah, that they have. It, it was, uh, what was the one back in the day? HBAP from the Nets. Humphreys, mm. Brooks, and a pick. Oh, HBAP. And they just threw it at every potential thing. Um, yeah. You know what? Spicy BBQ is pretty damn good when you compare it to that. <laughs> to H- when you're yeah. coming up with acronyms for the trade package you're putting in the trade machine, yeah. Man. HBAP. Uh. Um, man, this was so obvious, too. Like, someone even called it on Twitter after the game. So, LeBron didn't do media mm. after the game. And someone, quote, retweeted with that. That was with, like, Shams article in one, or in three, two, one. And yeah. then, yeah, there it is. Well, damn, you know, man. People can make the agency connections once again. Yeah. Also a little unfair. Sean's getting represented by UTA. UTA represents a lot of people. Like, it's it's hard to connect all of them in one group. That's all. But Yeah. Anyways. Other, other no, no, no other thoughts on this? Okay. No, I, my thought is just I mean, six what, sources, man. It's yeah, open and shut what case. thought? Like, we've been through this right. over and over again. We went through it with Vogel. We went through it with every other coach, like Ty Lue Laker? in Cleveland. Like, Who's the happiest, happiest Laker? Laker is D'Angelo Russell because he got his 500K for an extra vacation from the in-season. Mm. And he's hurt, and he's not catching any heat right now. But he's in every... I mean, I guess he's not catching heat, but he is in every single trade machine scenario that Lakers Mm. fans throw out there. Yeah. Or Max Christie. By the way, Dennis has been a two-time Laker. You think they called Dennis? Or to call, I guess, the Raptors for Dennis? Trade him him for seven? A.K.A. Gabe Vincent? Oh, right. Holy. I was stressed. I was like, seven? Y'all don't want seven? Yeah. No, they call him seven because he's the seventh source. Yovan and Sean just needed just one more quote. No, no, no. Come on. on. Every every team needs to have a role player that's referred to by their number only. Yo, that's crazy. Seven is sick. That's like if I called him 19. You don't want seven? You don't want seven? I think I want seven. <laughs> Boston, so somehow for me seven. Man. You don't think seven would be nice First off, off the you bench? You would not wear seven in Toronto, right? No one else uh, would yeah, ever wear true. seven in Toronto. Uh, lastly, you know, uh, the Pacers beat the Bucks twice this week mm. and finished the season four and one 
against Milwaukee. And Giannis was asked about <laughs> them losing four times to the Pacers. And he said, quote, you think about it. When you go home and sleep and wake up, you think about it. When you go back and work out, you think about it. When you're about to get freaky at night, you think about it. Yeah. Is Giannis thinking too much about the Pacers? Okay, well, two things. Number one, Giannis is known for the corny humor. Like, he actually really likes it and enjoys it. Is Giannis it. corny or funny? Where do, you, where do you land on this right now? I think Giannis also has this thing where, you know when you do two hours of podcasting, you just, like, blurt out a thought that comes to your mind that's kind of funny? You right, got two right. hours to fill, yeah. Yeah, like, I think that's that's what Giannis did here. Like, he let the okay. little horny intrusive thought just burst out in a press conference <laughs> so to Eric Maynard. Emmanuel Horny? <laughs> <laughs> wow. There um, you go. <laughs> I just thought because it was against the Pacers, this is so well-timed because Rick Carlisle had the quote the other day, being historically great on offense oh. is fun, but even dating a pretty girl gets boring after a while if she can't guard anyone. Yeah. So Rick Carlisle is talking about, I need my girl to play defense. And Giannis like, is I about to, to get my down. And Giannis <laughs> is thinking about Rick Carlisle while he's about to get down. Oh, fellas, man, when you when you find out who fellas. your partner wants to be, like you, you need to make sure that, that that she can guard one through five in the modern NBA. That's crazy. But, uh, that does it for us today. I want host. my relationship to be positionless. Wow, uh, that could that, be a lot I of things. I don't think I'd want that at all. Uh, okay, all right. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Make sure to find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe. Great review to the show. Thanks to Vivek, Dennis Schroeder, Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, Derek Randale, Jennifer Ronick, David says, Jared Manitad. We'll be back tomorrow.